Uh, we're continuing our marriage series uh, on the screen or in your Bible. You will find uh, the passage, which is today. It's Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. We're, we're repeating Ephesians 5, 15 through 21 over and over and over again for five weeks. And, and I hope after some time we can come to an understanding of what it means. Uh, so I'm going to read for us what's on the screen. Uh, and if you could follow along in your Bible or up here. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Um, the, is that 15 through 21, Mike? Uh, making the most of every opportunity. It is, in fact. Uh, because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a reading of God's word. Last week we talked about uh, what it means to be worshipful, to have an attitude of awe and worship in this passage. Now, the end, 21, it ends with submit to one another. Uh, and then it goes on to get, explain how we're to submit. It talks about the relationship of men and women and as wives and husbands. It talks about your relationship with work. It talks about your relationship with children, how children are to submit to their parents, how we are to submit to our work, and how we are to submit to each other in marriage. Today, and then going back to last week, I talked about worship being the attitude for doing so, awe of God being the motivation for doing so. If you don't have awe of God, uh, the Bible will break you. It will literally be something that you cannot withstand. If you are not in awe of God and his word, when you try to go to the scriptures and you try to say, well, I need to exact my life after the scriptures, it will crush you if it's not worship to God first. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to start a two-part series. I'm going to break it up into two weeks because I think it necessitates it. Uh, we're talking about gender roles. Now, I say gender roles, and automatically inside of you, emotions come flooding out or flooding right to the surface and stopping there and, and not coming out because maybe you're holding them in. Maybe they're not emotional like that. Maybe you have a good understanding of what gender roles are. But if I was to say gender roles in any situation, at any group, at any party, at any function right now, what comes with it is a host of baggage. Now, you might be asking yourself, Clint, you're... Like, you're dictating what you preach on. Why did you choose this? Like, are you a glutton for punishment? I'm not, well, I am, but that's besides the point. Uh, I'm not a glutton for punishment, and here's why. If we're to rightly understand what gender roles are, I hope to redeem that term today. I hope to redeem that understanding today. I hope to give you an understanding, because it's in God's word what gender roles are. And if it's in God's word, we have to preach it. Now, we shouldn't harp on it. We shouldn't go above what Scripture says, and we shouldn't go below what Scripture says. We should state what Scripture says definitively, and that is it. Not go above or not go below. So why talk about gender roles? Because the Bible talks about them. I hope today to show you that gender roles are real, that they are good, and they are useful. More than likely, I will not get to the final two. More than likely, I will just talk about they are real, and then next week we'll get to uh, they are good and useful. After today's sermon, we're going to do two things. We're going to do question and answer time, as well as hearing from a couple in a rise that will show us how they see this play out in their marriage or how they struggle with it in their marriage. And next week, we'll do the same thing. So this week, we're talking about it. 
because it's important. And I hope to do this. When you hear the term gender roles, I've upset two groups of people automatically, I can guarantee you. The two groups of people are the polar opposite as we understand, as we talk through our Proverbs series, this way and that way of the world. Now, depending on where you fall on some sort of political spectrum, the, the idea of gender roles will have with it a different connotation. And what the Bible does, and this is wild, I, I need you to hear this. When we talk about gender roles according to the Bible, it upsets both ends of the spectrum. And if you try to bring paradigms of this world to the scriptures, you'll be frustrated all day long. You know why? Because the Bible frustrates. When Jesus came to people and spoke to them and used parables, people were like, can you just give us the answers? And they got frustrated. And he said this, I speak in parables so that those who understand will understand and those who don't won't. If you bring your personal paradigm to the scriptures, you will be frustrated. You'll look at God as an unkind, unjust, unloving God. Rather, if you let him speak for himself, ah, things change. So I say gender roles, and I want to specifically speak to these two groups. I want to speak to the group that says, how dare you? Gender roles aren't a thing. We're all equal. Scripture has something for you. Conversely, if you say, yes, 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 gender roles, ah, now I get to exact my power, you've missed the point totally as well. How do I know? I want to show you Proverbs 31. I want to talk about gender roles, and if Proverbs 31 talks about, uh, it uses a female as exemplary. I want to describe to you what this female exemplary status is, and I want you to tell me if this fits any paradigm that you're familiar with today, okay? She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. Now, that sounds like Susie Homemaker. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's a real estate agent and a farmer. Her husband is respected at the city gate. He takes his seat among the elders of the land. Wait, he's out at the elders and she's at home? Honor her and all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. She's publicly acknowledged for being a leader. See, scripture cuts both ends, doesn't it? You say to yourself, oh yes, wives are only to be Susie homemakers. She's a real estate mogul. That's not, that can't, that can't be the only thing. Well, she's only business. She wakes up and, and gets food ready for the house. Okay, this is, this is oh, you know what? This is too hard to, to put together. That's the point. The point is, his ways are above our ways. So as I talk about gender roles, I want you to do this for me, please. Do not bring worldly paradigms into this conversation. I beg you. It will frustrate you to death. Hear from Scripture. I'll say this, and this, oh man, I hope this cuts you. You know who the best feminist in the entire world was? Jesus. He was the best feminist in the entire world. Why? He valued women like none other. Do you know what percent of the early church were women? 66% women. That's shocking. Brand new thing starts, brand new, brand new body. And you know what? 66, two-thirds of the entire church were women and, and helped it go on, that's wild. At the same time, Scripture says, hold on, there's distinct roles. It should upset us. So my goal is to upset you today. It's a great goal. By the way, pastoring is saying the same thing to people who don't want to listen, hoping they change. That's pastoring. It's sheep. It's, it's shepherding. Today, I pray that you hear the goodness of gender roles. So first, leave your paradigm at the door. Bring in God's word. And lastly, I want to say this. Uh, 
Again, it would be easier just to skip over this, to gloss over this, to not really talk about it. Here's why I want to talk about it. If we talk about it the way the tone of Scripture talks about it, we won't have a problem. If, if we talk about it like our tone has, oh, we're going to have problems. If I talk about it with, with my preferences, this is going to break, this is going to break relationship. But rather, if we talk with the tone of Christ, we have something going. So, I want you to see that genders do have roles that are real, and they are good, and they are useful. More than likely, we'll get to good and useful next week. But first, gender roles are real. It says in Ephesians 5, as it says, submit to one another. It goes on to say this. It goes on to say, wives, love your husbands. Husbands, I'm sorry, uh, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now, it says so after it says submit to one another. So if, if we were to get into a classroom or something like that, and I was to say, hey, there are gender roles. There are distinct roles. Men and women have different roles. Somebody would say, aha, but look at Ephesians 5. Look, it says submit to one another. I say, yes, of course. Of course there's submit to one another. But then Scripture goes on to say, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now, I'm under the understanding that the Bible is very, very specific. It is not flippant. Christ was not somebody who cooked up a mad cocktail of kind of words and just threw them out on the world and said, ah, let's see what sticks. The word of God is very, very intentional, very specific. It's not flippant at all. So when it says submit to one another, and then it chronicles how we are to submit. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. It's very important to understand that this is exactly what Christ had in mind because it comes from him, because it's intentional of him. It is not flippant. I need you to hear that again. The words of Scripture should not be considered something that are easy to take in. No, no, no. No, 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 church. They should be digested slowly. The Bible is not a McDonald's meal you grab on the run as you're going from one city to the next. The Bible is something that should saturate in, should not be counted with with an attitude of flippancy. Because Christ commanded it, because the Bible says it's not the same role, it's the same outcome, it's the same destination, submitting to one another, it then chronicles respect and love as the two ways in which you are to submit. So husbands, your role in submitting to Christ is to be affectionate to your wife. I'm gonna say that again for some of you husbands. Husbands, your role is to be affectionate to your wife. Not to fix her, be affectionate. Not to lord over her, to be affectionate. Not to demand, to be affectionate. That's, that's it. Wives, what it means when it says respect, it means this, yield. Oh. Yield. Now, what does yielding mean? Yielding means this, you come to a four-way stop, you come at the same time as somebody else, right? And you tie. Who goes? Right? I, I think so far here, I have, I have gotten the like wave from people like, no, no, you go. And it's like, no, no, you go. And I'm the guy that comes third, and I'm like, forget you both, I'm going. <laughs> you guys can deal with this later. But it's like, no, no, you go, no, no, you go. And we, and we want to be proper and nice and do this thing. Scripture says, hey, there is a, such a thing in such a place that if there is a tie, people, in relationships, do you disagree on what to do is best in life? Friends, family, brothers, sisters, mom, dad, husband, and wives, church leaders, do we disagree sometimes on what's best? We do, all the time. 
Imagine if there was a system in place that says, I'm going to be affectionate to you, I'm going to listen to you, I'm going to totally and absolutely listen. And at the end of it, if I haven't done a good job of understanding you and talking to you, Scripture says, there's a tie, yield. It's a, it, we're going to get to this when it says useful a little later. I just want to give you a little snippet. That's the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture is not to say value. Value is not distinguishable here. When it talks about roles, it's not talking about value. It's talking about distinction because we are different. I know, news alert, men and women are different. I don't know if you understand this. It's wild. Talk to any, talk to any child psychologist. Come hang out with my children for a day. There'll be a distinct difference between my oldest two and my youngest. My oldest two, I say, hey, buddy, come on over here. Give dad a hug. And they're like, okay, okay, I'll give you a hug. Nova, come give dad a hug. And oh, my gosh, I will just snuggle with Nova endlessly all day, every day. There's a difference, and we see a difference. And the distinction is good. Here's why the distinction is good and why it's real and why I hope you see it as real. Because actually, if we say there's no distinction between genders, you know what we've just done to every single ounce of women's rights that have been fought for in this world? We've thrown them all away. If we say there's no distinction, men and women are the exact same. We've just, we've just nullified somebody's experience. We've just said to somebody else, this is not true of what you've struggled with, what you fought for, what we've needed to repent of and get better at. Or here's another way of saying it. We have racial tension in America right now, and here's a very, very bad phrase to use right now. I don't see color at all. It's a very bad phrase. Why is it bad to say? Imagine going over to China and saying, we're the same. We use the same currency. We eat the same food. Imagine sitting down in China and ordering a hamburger and them looking at you like, what are you talking about? What we should say is this, you are distinct from me. And because I recognize the distinction, I can learn from you. I could change. I can understand you. If we say genders, there's no distinction. What we're doing is we're actually invalidating the value of women and men. We're actually dismissing the value of women, of men. The first thing is there is distinction. Roles are, are real because we are different, because God created us different. And we should value, we should support that, we should celebrate that. This is not a division point. This is, this is something in which we can grow and learn together. They are real because they come from God. We are different because God's creation is distinct. And to say otherwise is to belittle his creation. And it's to belittle who he made us. If we were the same, you know what God could have done at the very beginning? At the very beginning, God could have made Adam and Eve and could have said, you're Adam and you're Adam. This is man, this is man. He could have, he could have done that. Why didn't he do that? Uh, I do, we're going to get to a little bit, but the first thing we must answer is there must be distinction because God is not a flippant God. He's not erratic. He's not chaotic. He's very orderly. That's the first point. The second point is roles are real because they, roles are real because they come from God and they must be his word. He's not flippant. It doesn't diminish, but it comes from him. In Ephesians 5, it goes on to say, husbands, be the head of your house. Now, when I say head of an organization or head of a company or head of a, a group, what do we automatically assume? CEO, authority, leader, spokesperson, right? This is how we've, uh, uh, general, like in an army. 
Well, that's the, that's the apex. That's the, that's the point. That's the crown. And what Christ says is this, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean by head. Actually, what I mean by head, the word in Scripture, this is like the headwaters of a river. Now, now, what do the headwaters do to the river? It's very simple. I know that's, a, what do the headwaters do? It gives life to the river. The river wouldn't exist without the headwaters giving life, without giving of itself, without saying, here, I'm going to pour out for you. Do you see what Christ is doing? We hear, we hear leader and we're like, yes, I've, I've been dying for leadership my entire life. Not the type of leadership Christ defines. Actually, the type of leadership Christ defines you should run from. Because it's this, it's headwater, it's giving, it's pouring over. It's, it's giving life to somebody else, life to the river. Like we are the headwater. And where does this come from? Again, since Christ is not flippant, since he said submit to one another, but here's the distinct ways. They must be real because they come from him. He says, be a headwater to your family. Where did he get that from? Have you ever played this game? I, please play this game sometimes. When you read scripture, instead of just saying, well, yeah, there it is in the Bible, no problem, okay. Find a trace the source of it. Go back in scripture, understand. When Christ says, be the head, he, he's saying this, co-submit to one another in distinct roles and give life because that's what I experienced the Father doing for me. See what Christ is doing? He's actually, he's actually connecting it to the Trinity. Now I'm going to ask a trick question. Who's the most important person of the Trinity? Can't answer that, can you? You shouldn't be able to answer that. Now, uh, we can kind of joke. Every person has a different flavor. They really like this Jesus guy because he's kind of a, a hippie, grace-filled guy. I kind of like him. He's cuddly and soft like a teddy bear. The spirit's kind of mysterious and, and, and move. It's, it's, it's kind of weird, kind of obtuse. I can't get my hands around it. Oh, God the Father, this is order. This is good. And so we might have our personal preferences on the characteristics of God we like. But we'd be disproportionately out of center if we didn't say they are all the same value. However, how do they act? Does the Spirit act like the Son? Not at all. There was only one Jesus Christ who came and died for us. The Spirit is not him. Is God the Father like the Spirit? Not at all. God the Father sits on his throne and his head over the kingdom. They're co-submitting to one another. Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave you with the helper. And by the way, just so you know, it's going to be far better for me to leave and give you the Spirit than me to stay with you. Oh, that's wild. That's wild. It's better for us to have the Spirit than have Jesus right next to us? Insane. God the Father made a plan, and Jesus said, I will submit to you, not my will, but your will be done. And God the Father submits to Christ when he says, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. God says, I will honor that. I will submit to you, asking forgiveness for them. Do you see how they all interplay? They submit to one another. There's no hierarchy, and yet there's order to the Trinity. Now, if I was asking you who's the head of the Trinity, ah, God the Father begot the Son who gave us the Spirit. Do you see the order? But there's no way it's value because you have a disproportionate God. He's telling us to be head over our marriages like he says God the Father is head over the Trinity. And I'll give you a couple examples of how this plays out in our lives. When Ephesians 5 says, this is how you're to do it, husbands and wives, parents and children, workers to their, to their bosses. And then it goes on and on in Scripture to talk about gifts of the Spirit in, in, in the church. I'm going to try to example this in two ways. First one is this. The church has said, God has, has set up, he said, to some I give shepherds, to some I give pastors, to some I give elders, to some I give evangelists, to some I give prophets. And he goes on and on to describe, to some I give. Now, 
wouldn't it be awful if somebody was uh, uh, exceptional at evangelism and we said to them, we're the same at evangelism, you and I? You're no better than me. I'm, I, I need to lead you in evangelism. We'd say, well, hold, hold the phone. No, that's, that's not how it works. God gifted the church to say, I'm giving you evangelism. I'm not giving you all the gifts. You know why? I want you to be interdependent on one another. I want this person who's exceptional evangelism, I want you to learn from them. I want you to know them. I want you to see them. I want them to lead you and show you how to do so better. Does that get you off the hook from evangelizing? Now, there's two ways of doing this. One is to say, you're no better than me at evangelizing. We're the same. Well, that's false. The other is to say, since you're good at evangelism, you go do it. I'll sit back and I'll do nothing. That's also sinful. What it says is learn how to evangelize better by the gifted people I've given the church. You must evangelize the same. Everybody in the church is called to evangelize. Some of us are just given a head start on it. All of us are called to fellowship better. Some of us are just exceptional at building those relationships. We need to understand that the giftedness is to say, learn from one another and become more like the other, but still have distinction upon each other. That's what the church does. It's roles. It's offices. It's not value. Uh, Since it's 4th of July, I thought a good World War II story was in order. If you've seen the Band of Brothers, an incredible miniseries, there's this, this leader, his name is Winners. And Winners starts off as just a, a, a private in the company and ascends the ranks up and up and up and all of a sudden becomes an officer. And in the beginning of the miniseries, he was leading the charge with his uh, company into enemy lines and he was fighting alongside of them and, and giving maneuvers. And then sometime through, he got ranked up and all of a sudden he got drawn back behind the company. He was now uh, at, at the center with other officers, and his, his company was going into battle, and he sees them going to battle, and all he wants to do is he wants to run in. He wants to grab his, his weapon and run in after them, and a commanding officer stops him and says, what are you doing? He says, my men need me. He goes, yes, they need you to do your role. That's their job now. Your job is here. And we see that, and we go, that's value. It's not value. It's distinction. Imagine if he was to go into battle and do the job for them. He's actually saying of his current office, it's not important. He's saying, you guys can't do it without me. Do you see how actually arrogant that is? It's wildly arrogant for him to say, I'm better than you. You you need me. No, they don't. You may think that, but no, they don't. Here's how it applies to, to wives, to husbands, to men, to women. Christ says this, men, I made you the part of me that's masculine. Show what true biblical masculinity is to the world and ask women to be a little bit more biblically masculine than they were before. Not worldly, biblically. Women, I made you biblically feminine. Teach men how to be more feminine like I am. Because this is wild. This is the crazy thing. When Christ said he created us, he created us aspects that are within himself, right? So if he created women, you know what we must say about God? He has feminine. Men, you have, a, you have a part feminine in you that is godly, biblical, not worldly. Women, you have a part that's masculine in you, that needs accentuated, that you need somebody else who's better at evangelism than you to show you how to be better at evangelism and draw it out of you. Do you see how this works? This isn't value. This is just roles in which to say, please, women, show us how to be better women. Men, show us how to be better men. 
And in doing so, we will become better Christians at the whole together. See how it cuts both ways? Just like the church is to be presented blameless in front of God, we're to present each other fully as possibly we could make. And if we only focus on the masculine, we're disproportionate. If we only focus on the feminine, we're disproportionate. And we're like some Frankenstein monster of a church. We can't be that way. Also with this is to understand this idea of stealing gifts. Do you know that when you try to go outside of your lane and do something that you were not distinguished and, and asked to do, you're actually stealing from somebody else's joy in doing it? You're actually taking away from what God asked them to do. You're actually trumping and again saying, you're not, you know what, you know what, honey, you're not a good enough, you're not a good enough person. I need to do this for you. Step out of the way. You can't do this. Don't steal somebody else's gift. Just because some of you will come to me and have an idea for something. I've said this before. I need to confess this again. Uh, I'll, this is, again, confession time as well as trying to showcase something. Uh, if you get in the hospital and you call me to come visit, I will come visit. Your family will kick me out after 30 minutes, I guarantee it. Here's why. Because I'll be like, when you getting out of here, time to get up. Come on. What you doing? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And like, I have, I have a broken leg. I, I don't care. Let's go. Let's get up. There are plenty of people. Now, should I do that? No. That's why I've learned. Because I'm called to be more like some of you who naturally go in and you're just like a warm blanket to people. And I go, how did you do that? And you go, let me show you. Great. Please show me. Please teach me. Please have me understand. That's what the church is. And if I did it for you, if I said, no, 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 you who's really good at being a gifted warm blanket to people, I'm going to go do it. I'm stealing joy from what you do. I'm stealing your gift. I'm stealing your spotlight. I'm stealing what God asked you to do in the church. And now, church, I'm stealing from God, not just from you. Do you see that? Lastly, well, second to last, if I was to ask you this question, if I was to say, roles are not only real because they come from God, roles are not only real because we're different and we need to understand that different, but roles are real because Christ exemplified it. Not only do they come from him, not only are we distinct and different, and we should just see that in, in all of understanding of humanity. By the way, if you think, no, 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 this understanding of, of men and women come from a Western civilization, go read all of history. You pick the era, you pick the country, you pick the region, you pick the time, and there's distinct roles of men and women every single time. So it can't be just a cultural thing. It has to come from somebody else. And God asks us to not follow our cultural understanding, but his understanding. So they are real because we're distinct. They're real because they come from him. And they're real because Christ exemplified it. Christ set up his church. And just like I shouldn't come in and say, no, 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 you stay home. You don't comfort people. I'll go do it because I'm better than you. Christ didn't do that either. Do you know how easy it would have been for Christ to come snap his fingers and make you obedient to what he has done? Or let me say this, who's better at evangelizing you or Christ? Quick spoiler alert, it's not you. <laughs> if Christ is better at evangelism than you, why did he ask mankind to evangelize with him? 
Have you ever thought about that? It must be because of this. It must be because he is asking us to become like him. It must be because he is saying, I don't want to do it for you. Just like God the Father sent me to act on his behalf as a representation, I'm asking you to partner with me in the same manner. It must be that way. He didn't snap his fingers. He didn't come dictating. He didn't say, shut up and sit down. Let me do this. Church, he didn't do that at all. What did he do? He said, come follow me. And then he said, now go out on your own. It is insane to me that Christ asks me to preach when he could, I don't know, some hologram. I saw Tupac at a concert come back from the dead in a hologram. Maybe he could make some hologram of himself and preach right here to us. He could do that. And why isn't he? Why? It must be because he wants me to become more like him. He wants you to become more like him in asking you to do things just like Christ said. I'm not going to snap my fingers and force you. I'm going to ask you to partner with me. He exemplified this behavior. He came from the Father and said, not my will, but your, your will. He yielded to God the Father. Women, when Scripture says, submit to your husbands like Christ, like he's the head of the church, just as Christ submitted to God the Father, what he's doing is this, and I, know that that's, I, I think I could perceive that's the emotional turmoil. He's saying, become more like me in the fact that I submit. Do you see that? He's not saying, be more like me, be more like my father and something else I have no responsibility of. He says, I submit just like I'm asking women to submit. That's my femininity. Do you see that? So he's not asking you to do anything else he didn't ask himself. Men, when he says lead and love and respect and show affection, what he is saying is this, gifts. If I was to understand what Genesis talks about as it, as it speaks about the fall, it talks about the curse. The curse on women is that they want relationships to work well and they don't. That's the curse simplified. Men's curse is that we want work to go well and it doesn't. And we struggle against it and we fight. Men are gifted at trying to compartmentalize and get to work. Women are gifted at making sure relationships flourish. I referenced this before. Uh, they did a study on CEOs in America and as women ascended the, uh, into boards, all of a sudden, uh, these, these women were leading a much different way than had been done before because they were all men talking about it. So men were efficiency by the book, by the numbers, the, 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 and there was no robust community. And all of a sudden, women ascended boards, and now all of a sudden there was this tension to say, well, you, you, like, wanna, like, you wanna connect with me? This is weird, I don't want this. And it was just naturally happening. By the way, again, secular studies have shown this. And what they discovered is the second that you stop believing that there's a cultural expectation that business is just by the numbers, brass tacks, bottom line, you start realizing, no, there's another way to do this. It's relationship. We can have fun as we're getting stuff done. And all of a sudden, they, 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 crumbled, they showed it. They said, as the women ascended, they brought this new aspect. And businesses that embraced this new culture thrived just as much, if not better, than the other culture. Do you see? It's not value. We can't look at one company that has more relational connection on the board and one that's just cold and stoic by the numbers, get work done, and we strive against it. And we can't say, which one's better? You can't say that. You, you need to say they're both important. They're both good. Giftedness, it comes down to. Because Christ exemplified that. Because he showcased that. Christ, so at the end of the day, here's what it must mean. It must mean this. Christ wants us to experience what it's like to be him because it's good to be him. Christ wants us to experience what it's like to be him because it's good to be him. 
This is how I want to show you this last point. Uh, I'm coaching Little League Baseball. Pray for me. And uh, as, as we're out there, uh, my son Cohen is, is on the team. Um, it's his first year playing. And uh, uh, I could bat better than Cohen. I could get up there. I could hit a ball better than my, my son can. And I'm throwing him baseballs. And it takes a while to get, get used to it. And I could get up there. I'm like, oh, you're not doing it right. You don't have your feet right. You don't have your hands right. Oh, my gosh, what are you doing? You're horrible. You're awful. Let me do it. Get out of the way. That'd be an awful little league game, wouldn't it? If I stood behind my son and I, I made him hit, I did the mechanics for him, that wouldn't be so much fun. You know what's really fun? After two games and 25 pitches, for your son just to crush a ball down the, the foul line and him to go running, screaming for joy, laughing at what he just did, that's far better than me getting up there and showing him I could hit every single one of those 10 at-bats. Do you know why roles are real? Because without them, we wouldn't experience joy. Because you wouldn't get to celebrate your spouse. We wouldn't get to celebrate each other. We wouldn't get to look and say, I want to celebrate and value the way that you're distinct from me and you're different from me and you're succeeding far better than I could in this regard. And vice versa. See, I can get up there and I can have everything right. I could hit the ball every single time. I wouldn't have joy. I need to serve my son and say, Get after it, buddy. I need to, to yield to that office, to that experience. Husbands, men, are you being biblical in your understanding of serving all people? Not just women, all people. By becoming more like them. Women, are you becoming more feminine and more masculine by following God's precepts of what he asked us to do because his ways are above our ways? And as much as we might have cultural understandings, we need to say, at the end, it must be because you want us to be more like you, and it's better to be you, more like you, than it is more like me. How many of you just said amen in your head right then? It's far better to be more like him than it is more like you. More of you is not what the Bible asks, right? More of him. As scripture says, I give my life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live is for him, not for me. That's the entirety of scripture. So people, let me, let me finish with this. You can have your rights, whatever you mean by rights, and get no service. You can have your rights and not serve a single person all day long. Or you can serve and give up your rights. In the coming week, we're going to talk more how that plays out. We're going to talk about whether good and useful that roles are, but I just wanted to show you they're real because it values all people. It shows us more like how we're becoming each other and they're from God to make us more like him. We'll talk about how good and useful they are and hopefully you come to see that. But my first thing is this, please drop all cultural expectation and be biblical. So if you're a one in the spectrum that wants to use scripture to get ahead in your life by controlling things, stop, you're not biblical. If you want to use scripture to get ahead in life and, and level the playing field, that there's, there's no distinction, stop. That's not biblical. They come from God and they are real because he wants us to be more like him. They are good. He is not flippant. Far better to serve than to have rights. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are and who you're making us become more like your son. I pray that as we continue on this path of understanding what it is to be more feminine and more masculine, more like you, because you exhibit both. 
that we do so and we showcase the value that you have for all of it. So as I pray, amen.